welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And we have a very important topic for you today. There are 40 million enslaved people in the world today, which is just an overwhelming number, a number that is so large, it leaves us asking, what could we even do to help? Well, in his book, Vulnerable, Rethinking Human Trafficking, Raleigh Sadler makes the case that anyone can fight human trafficking by focusing on those who are most often targeted. His book invites the reader to understand their role in the problem of human trafficking, but more importantly, their role in the solution. Using the power of story and candid interviews, Sadler seeks to discover how ordinary people like you and me can fight human trafficking by recognizing vulnerability and entering in. As vulnerable people, we can empower other vulnerable people because Christ was made vulnerable for us. Raleigh Sadler speaks and writes on the topics of vulnerability and human trafficking. He's been published at the Gospel Coalition, the Huffington Post, and the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, among other places. In 2013, he began a movement called Let My People Go, which grew into a nonprofit organization that comes alongside and empowers local churches to address the injustice of human trafficking in a holistic manner. And he's here today to talk about the problem of human trafficking and his book about it, Vulnerable. Welcome to the program, Raleigh Sadler. Brother, how are you? Doing well, Jared. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, you've recovered. We saw each other a little bit at the Southern Baptist Convention. It was a few months ago by the time this uh, recording came out. You, 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 you project you'll be fully recovered from that uh, event? I think so. I'll be honest, you know, here in Chicago, we've been shut down like hard for the last year and a half. And so going to Nashville and I think I didn't know I got off the plane. I I was on music row and everyone was staring at me awkwardly. And I'm like, (laughs) is there is there something on my face? Like what's going on? I still had my mask on. I it's just second nature now. And everyone was looking at me like, who are you and why are you here? You know, it's so weird the shift that you so now that you mentioned that because uh, so Kansas City lifted the mask mandate. Um, I don't know, I think back near Memorial Day, somewhere around the um, and it's so interesting, right? Because I remember like right after the pandemic started, and if you didn't have a mask on, like you walked into a place uh, um, with, without a mask on. And you felt weird because everyone had a mask. And you're like, oh no, I, I forgot my mask, or I need to, I need to do this, that, the other thing. Now, when you walk out and there's somebody who has a mask on, you're like, my gosh, look at that person with the, the mask on, and the weird how <laughs> things have, have shifted completely the other way. And no one wants to feel, you know, singled out or like the, you know, the oddball. Well, yeah, at the convention, I just had a moment of reckoning where I thought, you know. We're going to see how good this vaccination is. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, so far, it's, holding tight, man. Holding yeah, tight. I mean, we're recording this uh, mid-July here. And um, yeah, there were some some bold predictions about super spreader events and, you know, mass, uh, um, you know, contagions or whatever because of the close proximity and the number of people. I haven't heard anything coming out of there, so... Uh, but you know, still, um, we've got our second, I'm getting vaccinated. Uh, this is not a pro or anti vaccine, uh, statement of any kind. It's a personal statement. Uh, I'm getting my second dose, um, on, on Friday, on, on Friday of this week. So in a couple of days, so then I'll be able to, 
you know, show my papers at the border and <laughs> or what, whatever it is they say. I'll have That's the mark. The fun I can I, I can buy and sell goods. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole different uh, whole different podcast. Hey, I'm glad that you're here. Um, uh, I want you to tell us about Let My People Go. Tell us about the organization that you founded and uh, yeah, the purpose and and uh, what what good work you guys are doing. You know, it's so interesting when I felt called to fight human trafficking and, and I, it's still weird for me to say when I felt called, because when I was in seminary, I went to a Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I actually went to the Southern Baptist Theological okay. Seminary. Okay. All right. Okay. And <laughs> but when, when I was at Southern, I remember thinking, well, you know, ultimately we're called to love God and love others. So as long as we keep it between those navigational beacons, to quote Jimmy Buffett, we will be okay. And um, and I remember going to a conference as a college minister, bringing some of my students along, and they were talking about how we create a demand for human trafficking. So based on what we consume, whether it's food, clothing, entertainment, even pornography, we're creating a demand for the exploitation of others. Every dollar we spend, every time we view a video, we are casting a vote for the world that we want ourselves to live in and the world that we want others to live in. And Christine Kane was speaking and someone asked her just very candidly, do you think by the way we consume pornography that we're creating a demand for human trafficking? And she said, certainly, absolutely. And I don't think I ever understood that. Wow. And, and, it, and it shuddered me. And I just remember realizing that my private sins and they don't even have to be sins. Your private choices have public ramifications. They don't happen in a vacuum, you know. Everyone, when we consume, we have to realize that whatever we're consuming, it didn't just magically appear on our back or in our bellies or, you know, on our screen. Someone, an unseen neighbor did that. And so I just remember saying, God, I'm sorry. And it, was, it wasn't sham repentance. It was the real deal. I was just like, God, I am sorry. And immediately after, I just felt this thing. You know, um, I heard one person refer to it as bad pizza. You know, it's the, oh no, did I just eat something wrong? Because I'm, I'm sensing something that I'm, and I just, I just felt this, this you, you need to explore this. You need to think about how you can care for people who've been exploited, how you can help people fight human trafficking. And I thought, man, I wear cardigans. I'm not going to kick down the door of a brothel. So what does it look like for me, Raleigh Sadler, to fight human trafficking? Because so many of us, when we hear, let's do something to end human trafficking, we either do nothing or we do the first thing that comes to mind, which is always the worst thing. That's like the going and rescuing people, but not knowing where to take them kind of thing. And it's the Liam Neeson. I saw it on Taken, so it has to work. And um, <laughs> And I think for me, after that, I just spent a year just really wrestling with what do I do? And then after a year, sold everything and I moved to New York to fight human trafficking, which I was still learning what wow. it was. And, and it was there that God gave me more direction as I just started following those steps. And I was working with a nonprofit that was doing a big anti-trafficking push in Manhattan. And they said, Hey, we know you're a college pastor, but could you mobilize churches for this event? So I started doing it and I fell in love with it. 
And it just felt like what I was meant to do. And so really what Let My People Go does is we seek to empower the local church to fight human trafficking, this big mega issue, by loving those who are most vulnerable to it. Because when you care for the most vulnerable population in your community, and every community will have a different vulnerable population, but when you focus strategically on loving and caring for your most vulnerable neighbor, you're going to find that those most vulnerable in your community, those in the margins, they can be trafficked, they are being trafficked, and they have been trafficked. So you find yourself, just by loving vulnerable people, doing the work of prevention, intervention, and aftercare all in one fell swoop. And so really, our goal is to help churches not only become aware of the issue, but to think through, as a congregation, how are you identifying, empowering, protecting, and including vulnerable people? How are you preaching on vulnerability? How are you giving people handles and application for caring for people? How are you helping people go from kind of avoid the pitfalls of doing nothing and then avoid the other pitfall of doing the first thing, but how do you just help them do something? So we help the congregation really build infrastructure through which to care for vulnerable people. And then we help them collaborate well with local stakeholders like nonprofits, social services, local law enforcement, who are already doing the work. And so really our goal is to really help the church be a spiritual community that cares for people, not only in a spiritual way, but also a physical way that cares for people holistically. Yeah, the book is titled Vulnerable. Your subtitle is Rethinking Human Trafficking. What is it that you would say needs to be rethought? What does the average evangelical not understand about about human trafficking? Yeah, so much of what we know informs how we behave, right? Like when we base our knowledge of human trafficking on movies, and there are a lot of movies that depict human trafficking. Yeah, it's kind of a, been a trend in the last probably 10 years or so, hasn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. And some are good, <laughs> but a lot of them are <laughs> terrible. A lot of them, like, I thought Taken was a great action movie, but it's not a documentary <laughs> about human trafficking. Right. Okay. I think we would all like for Liam Neeson to be our, our dad. That would be great. <laughs> Something happens to you, Liam Neeson shows up. He That's drives right. on some ice. With his safety. particular set of skills, yeah. <laughs> right. And like, and it, and it was really easy because in that movie, they depict the bad guy in just very clear terms. But here's the thing. When we rethink human trafficking, we have to realize that though kidnapping can and does happen. It's not the prevailing narrative. A lot of people are groomed by someone that they know. So again, it's not stranger danger. It's your boyfriend. It's your girlfriend. It's your parent. It's your uncle. It's your teacher. It's someone that you know who has been slowly but surely grooming you, manipulating you to where and shaping you so that you would easily kind of go along with this. So it's a trafficker, when we just think it's kidnapping, we're going to miss the person who their story is just much more subtle. Yeah, it, the I, I think when most people think about this issue, they think about um, 
those visual images of, you know, large numbers of people um, in, you know, trucks crossing the border or, you know, the kidnapping type issues and, and things like that. Um, but what you're describing, it, you know, much more common are things that are happening probably in, um, you know, within local communities in underprivileged areas, would you say, um, in in under-resourced neighborhoods uh, among among many poor, but probably not um, exclusively so, I, I would guess. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think your vulnerability could be financial, it could be emotional, it could be psychological. Some people can be exploited because someone has leverage over them, like maybe they are impoverished. Um, maybe there is mental illness. Maybe the person is a single parent. Maybe, um, yeah, I mean, the list is endless, but maybe they've been impacted by a disaster or maybe there's trauma. And, you know, traffickers are like sharks in the water. When sharks sense blood, they know what to do. They know how to find the person. They know what to do when they find them. That's how a trafficker is. They have an innate sense of how to spot vulnerability and how to act upon it. And so someone's vulnerability also could be they're looking for community. They're looking for the love of a father. And traffickers will ultimately isolate their victim and make them entirely dependent on the trafficker. And so the trafficker will sometimes do good things for them, but it always comes at a cost. And I think, you know, if we are to really understand this, then I'm just going to, I'm going to read the definition of human trafficking as proposed by the United Nations. They say that trafficking in persons is defined as the recruitment, the transportation, transfer, harboring, or receipt of persons by means of threat or use of force or other forms of coercion, of abduction, of fraud, of deception, of the abuse of power, or of a position of vulnerability, or of or of the giving or receiving of payments or benefits to achieve the consent of a person having control over another person for the purpose of exploitation. Exploitation shall include at a minimum the exploitation of the prostitution of others or other forms of sexual exploitation, forced labor or services, slavery or practices similar to slavery, servitude or the removal of organs. Simply put, Human trafficking is the exploitation of vulnerability for commercial gain. Hmm. Whether it's for sex, labor, or domestic servitude, someone with power and control exploits someone with less. And so it may be that story that you saw in a movie, but could, it could also be just someone who's been coming to your church. One of my friends who was trafficked, and I tell her story in my book, she. She was trafficked for years. And I, I remember this changed the whole trajectory of Let My People Go. I asked her, I said, what did the local church do for you? And she laughed at me. And she said, for five years, I went to church and, and no one noticed. But to be fair, I didn't notice. And so really what we want to do is help churches recognize that so there won't be stories like that. So that people are loved and known and are free to say, hey, this is happening in my relationship, or this thing happened with my parent or my uncle, 
And that only comes through the context of relationship and people have to feel safe. And so really what we're trying to help churches do is be a place where vulnerable people know that they're protected. What would you say, Raleigh, that um, that the scriptures say to this um, to this sin, to this concept? What does the Bible say about uh, maybe trafficking generally, or even just to the you know the help, the rescue, the assistance of the of, of the vulnerable? Well, I think a fantastic story that comes to mind is the story of Joseph. We tell the story of Joseph in a lot of ways. I mean, I remember hearing the story of Joseph framed in don't look at porn you know it was like run run away that's what joseph did i'm like sure but also if you really i'll never forget sitting down with a rabbi and i said hey man i'm gonna preach this story or i'm gonna preach this the narrative of joseph look at my sermon and man it was good i was so proud of myself i mean i hit all the points i mean it was oh all the hermeneutics were there it was delightful (laughs) And he looked at me and he goes, that's all wrong. And I'm like, what? Man, I spent like 15 hours on this. Did you say, you don't know Jesus, Jack? (laughs) I'm like, come on. And he was like, where's the family? Mm. He's like, one of the most traumatic parts of that story is the breakdown of this covenant family, you know? And, And it hit me. I was like, if you look at the story of Joseph, you see... He prophesies. His brothers are angry. They're jealous. They attempt to kill him, but then one of the brothers talks them out of it. They throw him in a pit. Then they sell him to Ishmaelite traders, traffickers. Hmm. He is sold as property. He is commodified and he's sold to Potiphar and his wife tries to turn him from someone who is doing forced labor to someone who's basically trafficked for sex. Like in this moment, he is not his own. He is being exploited. He is someone else's property in the eyes of Egypt. And he disobeys and he pays the penalty for it. But then throughout these chapters of Genesis, we see... God redeem this. We see God bring hope and reunification of the family. And the story of Joseph reminds me, one, not every story ends this way, but it reminds me that God desires to bring redemption to those who have been exploited. God desires to bring freedom. And um, and really, with stories like that, we can hope because it's so easy to hear about human trafficking and to just get overwhelmed, to just be like, well, there's nothing we can do. There's no, there's nothing that, that I can do to ultimately fight human trafficking. But we see just over and over after the story of, of Joseph, we see God in every narrative, basically saying, you were slaves and sojourners in Egypt, now love the sojourner. He's grounding their love of their neighbor in their own redemption. And we just see this play over and over and over in the scriptures. 
And that's one thing that I just loved digging into in my book was just really how how God is consistently showing his people that one, he identifies with those most vulnerable, but two, he wants them to join him in the midst of the vulnerable people in their community. It's like, what did Henry Blackaby say? You want to find the will of God, find where God is at work and join him there. And if we look at scripture very carefully, we'll see over and over and over that God is always at work on the side of the underdog. God is always moving in marginalized communities. We look at the early church, the first chapters of Acts. We love to use this as a church planting manual, but at the end of the day, God is growing his church with people who had nothing, with people who had faced trauma, with subjugated people who had known the pain of exploitation and they were free finally. And so, yes, we see over and over and over. And I mean, probably my favorite text is Luke four, when Jesus comes and says, basically gives his mission statement. Mm -hmm. I'm here to preach good news to the poor, sight to the blind, liberty to the captives. Those who are oppressed will no longer be oppressed. I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what's interesting is, in a way, he's fulfilling Isaiah 61, which talked about all those things. But really, in the context of Isaiah 61, they were all physical situations. But then in the context of Luke, all of those things, if we really chase it, like it's talking about the spiritual aspect. And so he's basically saying, I'm coming to bring holistic freedom to you. And I just love camping out on the idea of the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, the year where those who were slaves were, were freed. He's basically saying, I'm, built, I'm bringing the only kingdom in history that has not been built on the backs of slaves. Hmm. And so I think if we look at scripture, we will see with new eyes that vulnerability is throughout the Bible. Yeah. And to reach those most vulnerable, Christ became vulnerable for us in every way. Whether you wanted to say he was born to a teenage mother. You know, along with. You know, um, yeah. Uh, along with kind of the surge of interest in in human trafficking, kind of the, the focus over the last 10 years or so in the media, uh, which brings with it distortions or characters or, um, you know, misrepresentations. There's also sort of a, a, a current of. I don't know what you want to call it, urban legend or urban myth as as well. Things that um, claims that come out, you know, um, everything from I'm scrolling through Facebook and there's someone saying, look out when you go to the Target uh, because there's there's someone there's been kidnapping attempts in the part, you know, Target parking lot. And uh, a lot of times those things are, are are fabricated or just sort of the telephone game. Some, you know, something minor happened perhaps and it's been expanded or things, you know, claims like uh, one of the most famous ones every year, of course, is at the Super Bowl, where the Super Bowl is always the largest um, uh, you know, epicenter of human trafficking for the year or for prostitution or or something like that. Um, I wonder if you could just speak to that concept for a moment. Uh, give us, you know, some factual, I suppose, you know, facts are our friends. And um, I don't think we help a cause by misrepresenting, the, you know, things around it. If anything, that, that can actually kind of dull people's 
sensibility or sensitivity to the the real problem. Give us a, a dose of reality re- related to that, but then also give us some some sobering facts. You know, where are some hot spots in 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 the U.S. Um, that we might be surprised about, or that we just ought to be aware of, or maybe w- what are you know areas in our in our own communities that we should be um, you know prayerful about, thinking about being on mission in that sort of thing. Yeah, one of my biggest one of the biggest aspects of my job is to help people know fact from fiction. And <laughs> debunking, time, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, 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 no. What you're saying is right. Like everywhere I go, I have to expose myths. Someone will say, well, we don't have human trafficking in our community because we're not near a highway. We're not uh, near, um, we, we don't have major sporting events, so we don't have human trafficking. Again, we return to the definition that we use. Human trafficking is the exploitation of vulnerability for commercial gain. So if you have vulnerable people in your community, you have someone who wants to take advantage of them. Not everyone is what they seem. It's very easy to think, oh, traffickers are these monsters and we know how to see them. They're all the mafia. Mafias operate, sure. Organized criminal syndicates operate, yes. But a lot of trafficking happening in your community is familial trafficking. It's a lot of trafficking happening in your community. You have those who are victimized and those who are the victimizers growing up in the same neighborhoods. And people just see it under a different name. They'll say, oh, that's just prostitution. Or, oh, that, that person's just, they're undocumented. They work in that job. We're not asking the deeper questions. We are just taking things at face value. And we're really just putting a narrative on people and saying, oh, well, this is why it's happening. And so really like the highway myth, that's grounded in, yes, people are transported. That's part of human trafficking, according to the UN definition. But a lot of people... When they hear human trafficking, they just think movement. And that's, that's a difficult part of that, that moniker that we use. Human trafficking, a lot of people who are trafficked stay where they've always been. And so when we think of the Super Bowl, yes, yes, there are people who are trafficked for the Super Bowl. But... It doesn't just happen on that day, right? And that's the thing that really scares me is when people are like, oh, we got to gear up. The Super Bowl is coming. I'm like, yes, but this is also happening probably in your community (laughs) 365 days a year. Mm. I think the Super Bowl can be a good reminder that, okay, we need to focus on human trafficking for the rest of the year. But if we just leave it at that game, I mean, that's dangerous. Because we're not, we're not going to have eyes to see what's really happening. And so, yeah, a lot of the myths that I end up kind of addressing are the kidnapping myth. Like the viral posts that you mentioned. I mean, I've had many conversations. And yeah, some with people who posted those. And they would say, well, you know, someone was trying to take my baby. And, you know they looked like this and they were going to take my baby and traffic her for sex. You don't know that. That's not how trafficking typically works. Could your baby have been kidnapped? Sure. Could that person have just had really horrible social skills? Sure. (laughs) 
But like at the end of the day, you don't know that it's for trafficking. But all of a sudden, this viral post goes out there and everyone is freaking out. And now there are a lot of myths that are tied to different political movements. And we have to be careful of that as well. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have data, like trustworthy data, you should be suspect. You should be skeptical of what's going on. And I mean, when I've pushed back on these movements, man, people come back and they're like, you don't know, so-and-so is a trafficker. It's all, it's all the, the elite, they're trafficking. I have no doubt in my mind that some of those who are the elite have exploited and trafficked people. But for the most part, the prevailing narrative is it's the people that you walk by on a daily basis that could be the monsters. They could be the people who are exploiting. We have to be very careful of that. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, the high profile cases, of course, that we've seen recently with the, you know, Jeffrey Epstein and, uh, you know, Ghislaine Maxwell, who is still uh, in jail, I guess, awaiting trial and that sort of thing. Um, it's, it, you know, those are, her, you know, horrific people doing horrific things who, who need to, um, you know, be subject to justice. Um, the, the Nexium. Um, you know, sex cult or whatever, who, uh, you know, that, you know, that fellow who is in jail now and others who are, I guess, uh, awaiting trial. Um, human trafficking is a part of that story. I don't know that we would have used that phraseology or that, you know, that terminology 15 years ago in relating to this story, but we do now. Um, and I think, you know, rightly so, but it's, it's somewhat easy to kind of project that, you know, as you said, you know, project it elsewhere to say, this is sort of this, see the underbelly of the elite world or it's the um uh um you know the world in of the middle east or uh you know extreme you know poverty situations perhaps or immigrant uh populations and and that sort of thing and we kind of forget sort of um what you were introducing to us in the beginning of the uh, of the program actually is kind of the role that we may play even passively right to click on a uh a, a, a you know porn link yeah. to um you know not be thinking uh substantively about where um you know where we get our our consumer goods all those sorts of things um those are decisions that kind of fall into this stream of uh, of trafficking and i think even the abortion conversation um as as we oppose abortion and rightly so and um, you know, make it a part of our mission um, to abolish abortion um, in in so many ways. Um, I I don't even think you know I don't think today we can totally disentangle or di you know dis uh, you know distinguish that issue with the issue of human trafficking as well because so much of um, you know the abortion traffic is I think bound up in things like prostitution and uh, exploitation of uh, um, in, in pornography and all those sorts of things as well, is it not? You know, Jared, I had an ethics professor in New York at a Christian university basically say, I don't teach my students about human trafficking because here's the thing, they're likely to not see that person who's trafficked, but, you know, I teach them about those who are getting abortions and da 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 da, da. And he's like, I could show you people who would get abortions you couldn't show me someone who's been trafficked. And I, I looked at him and I, it was one of those moments, right? Like we were at like a little <laughs> party of some sort and I had to actually take a deep breath. It was a woo-saw moment. I was like, 
okay. Um, and I looked at them and I said, they're the same people. Huh. So many of my friends who've been trafficked for sex have been forced to get abortions. Right. And so many of my friends who work in crisis pregnancy centers have seen people who they're like, wait a minute, this seems off. She seems like there's, she's being manipulated or coerced. And see, a trafficker, when I read the UN definition earlier, that UN definition is important because it breaks down into the act of human trafficking, what is the actual action of human trafficking, the means of human trafficking, and the purpose of human trafficking. So the act is recruiting, harboring, transferring, um, receiving people. The means is force, fraud, and coercion. And the purpose is for sex, labor, or domestic servitude, or in developing nations, the removal of organs. And so that said, force, fraud, and coercion can happen. And I've had friends in CPCs recognize that because here you go, you're working with a vulnerable population. And as you're getting to know them, you're positioned to see things that others may not see. And Absolutely. I, I, would, I would say that human trafficking is a catch-all injustice. I think those who have experienced domestic violence could actually be trafficked, I think, in some ways. I think those who have been pressured to get abortions could also be trafficked. We have to relook at all the vulnerable people in our community through a new lens, and that lens of force, fraud, and coercion will help. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of our listeners are, um, you know, Christians who love their church. Uh, who love their community and and want to in some ways seek to uh, you know be proclaimers of the gospel and uh, live in such a way that that their life is an apologetic for the gospel is a you know, simplifying it and so I can imagine their natural question at this point would be um, pastor and 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 layperson alike okay what what can I do so give somebody um, you know one or two practical things that they can uh, you know, look into if they want to, um, you know, address this issue in their, in their own sphere. Well, first I want to give you an approach. God motivates vulnerable people like you and me to love other vulnerable people by becoming vulnerable for us. We see that in his life and his death. Christ was born to a subjugated people, to a teenage mom, to like made, like he basically was trained to be a stonemason, workers wage, that kind of deal. And then died the death of really a Roman slave, but he, he died to bring us freedom. And so when we realize that Christ has come to us in our vulnerability and, and we are loved, we're just loved. We are loved. We are set free. Now we are free to love other vulnerable people who their vulnerabilities may be different than ours, but at the end of the day, they are vulnerable. And so I would say one thing kind of operate out of this, that. God's grace frees us to be gracious towards others. And with that in mind, we're able to say, okay, we can start asking questions. We can say, who is most vulnerable in our community? We can talk to local stakeholders, local nonprofits, local, um, you know, local law enforcement. A fun thing to do is, I mean, it's fun for me. I don't know if it's fun for everyone, <laughs> but it's to Google nonprofits and your zip code, and you see basically everybody that's working in your community. And oftentimes you'll say, wow, there's 
eight organizations working with foster youth, only three working with those experiencing homelessness. And that could be a sign of who's most vulnerable in your community. So I would say, first thing, start talking to people. Second thing, learn about human trafficking. That's why I wrote my book, because no one had really taken this approach with people of faith and really given people of faith an approach where they didn't have to do nothing, but they didn't have to do everything. They could do something. And, and so, yeah, start there. And one thing I do in my book is I, I basically give you all the resources that are out there that can help you really build a holistic response. Because at the end of the day, we can get so overwhelmed by what we're seeing. And really, it could be as simple as just start a conversation. See someone. If you see someone experiencing homelessness, turn your body. Talk to them. Get to know them. If you see them the next week, continue it. Go grab a meal. Treat the people that you see who are vulnerable as friends. Be wise, but be a friend. And I guarantee you, if you do that, then you will start noticing things. And at that point, um, one other thing that you could do is you could reach out to the Human Trafficking Hotline, the National Human Trafficking Hotline, which is 1-888-3737-888, or text BEFREE, B-E-F-R-E-E. And so that's another great resource. You can call them if you see something or if you just want to learn more about human trafficking, they can give you, they can give you help. Good. Thank you, brother. Yeah, the organization is called Let My People Go. The book is called Vulnerable, Rethinking Human Trafficking. It's available wherever good books are sold from B&H Publishers, a good friend of ours. And this has been Raleigh Sadler. Brother, thanks so much for coming on the For the Church podcast. Oh, thank you. Listener, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, give us a good review wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.